Well, good evening. We will be talking this evening about the good news of Judges. So we will be in Judges for a good portion of our time uh, this evening. And uh, if you want to, you can go ahead and uh, put a slide of bulletin into uh, that passage that we read earlier from Hebrews chapter 12. Um, we'll be coming back to that at the end, our, our call to worship passage. So family history, the telling of stories about our grandparents, our parents, our aunts, and uncles, brothers and sisters, man, that can make for some entertaining moments with your kids. Liz and I sometimes will tell stories that have happened uh, to us, but more frequently we like to share stories that happened to Uncle Nathan or Uncle Joey or Uncle Kyle, uh, because those are... Uh, a little, less, uh, a little less embarrassing for us most of the time, and uh, a little more entertaining for, for our kids as they hear stories for the first time. They, they, they really enjoy that. I think we can relate to that as we hear people telling stories about what things were like when they were kids. It helps us understand who they were, how they grew up, what their brothers or sisters were like. It may help us see our uncles or aunts in a little different light than maybe we had previously. They can contain humor, in those stories, right? We learned that there wasn't always things like the internet or video games or handheld devices that you could watch television on wherever you wanted to be. Um, and when we hear these stories of uh, funny things that have happened where, where somebody had an act of courage or uh, maybe they did something that was super special for us, um, we tend to remember those things. We remember those stories. I remember stories that my dad has told me about my, my great-grandfather. As a matter of fact, I think I was sharing one just this morning with uh, Josh Womble uh, while we were standing upstairs chatting. Things like that, they, they help us remember. They help us bring to mind things that people have done. Well, tonight in Judges, it's going to do that for us, but it's very, very painful. Judges is basically a book of stories about things that happened that families should be embarrassed about. And certainly there are successes, certainly there are acts of courage, certainly there are good times, but seemingly in Judges as we read, as soon as a current disaster is averted and people are delivered, they immediately forget what God does for them and they start to stray and they wander away from God. In this way, Judges lays bare before us the sinfulness and hard-heartedness of the Israelite people. At the same time, we see God, while judging sin, still being gracious, merciful, patient, and loving the Israelites. He continues to come to their aid. He continues to hear them call. And as his children cry out to him time and time again after being put into a situation of their own making. Having turned their backs on God, God hears their call and he responds. So tonight as we look at Judges, I wanna make sure that we have a good, well-rounded view of uh, the book and that I'm gonna provide for us some ways to read as we read the accounts of the Judges, some things for you to think about as you're reading Judges on your own. We obviously won't have time to cover all of the judges this evening, or, or, the, or the whole book, uh, but I want to make sure that we, we have a good foundational understanding so that as you read on your own, you'll get more out of it and you'll enjoy it. So from an author perspective, the author of Judges is not known, but historically, Samuel has been credited with 
the, the writing of the work. As evidence for this, Samuel lived during the transitional time between Judges into the time of the kings. There is textual support for this being a later work, and if we look into the text, we'll see that there's a retrospective phrase that's used that says, in those days. Especially in the later chapters in the book, we see in those days, and there, there was no king. Meaning that potentially the book is being written from a time when there was a king looking back, comparing, making a comparison, potentially letting the people know that you think you've got it bad now. In those days, there was no king, and guess what? It wasn't any better. So from that perspective, we think that that gives some support to the fact that Samuel could have been the author. That phrase in those days, in fact, is used six different times in the latter chapters of the book. More specifically, as we, as we look at the writing, the person would have either had uh, an eyewitness type account of some of the uh, judges or it would have been passed along from an oral tradition perspective, but it certainly makes sense that it fits in with someone who would have potentially bridged that gap between the time of the judges to uh, the time of the kings. Another possible author would have been King Solomon. I read a little bit on that, that maybe Solomon was writing in, in retrospect, writing things down, but um, more of the evidence that I saw lends itself to say that potentially Samuel was the author. In any event, the author does not name themselves. So we have uh, a book that is, is full of tradition, it is full of history, and it is full of the faithfulness of God in spite of the unfaithfulness of his people. From an outlining perspective, if we were to give an outline to the book, uh, we would see that there are basically three different sections in Judges as you read. Chapters 1 and 2 basically contain a prologue. And in that prologue, those chapters serve as an introduction to the state of Israel following the conquest of the Promised Land. This includes, again, the death of Joshua. If you remember uh, from our sermon last Sunday night I preached, Joshua is, is, is at the end of his book is passing on, and it talks about uh, that there are those of his generation that pass, all, pass on and die as well. J Judges picks up in, in the first couple chapters with that same message. Joshua is dying. Those who lived uh, in the same generation as Joshua were faithful and served the Lord, but then there was a generation that came after, and those generations that came after are the subject of Judges. So from a historical narrative perspective, the time of Joshua's initial conquest into the Promised Land serves as one of the high points in the Old Testament, and unfortunately, as we move into Judges, it's going to stand in stark contrast to the time of Joshua when everyone begins to do what seems right in their own eyes. And a cycle of sin or a pattern of sinfulness is introduced and it's a downward spiral that continues for generations. The second section is uh, the judges and the pattern of sinfulness. And that would be chapters three through 16. And these chapters contain uh, tragic accounts of how Israelite, the Israelite people repeatedly did evil in the sight of the Lord. They would forsake the service of the Lord their God to pursue other gods and their own pleasures. It would lead them into being conquered. It would lead them into being subjects or in, into slavery. They would cry out to God and following a period of suffering, the people would eventually turn back to God, repent of their sin, God would send a judge or a deliverer 
that would help free the people and then the people would be faithful to God for a period of time during that, that judge's life. Unfortunately, they would repeat that cycle over and over. And we'll get into that cycle of sin so, so that as we read, we, we can actually see that at work and I'll, I'll have an example for us to, to look at as well. The third section is the epilogue. It's basically the closing of the book, which would be chapters 17 through 21. And if you want to avoid the most depressing part of the book, that would be the chapters that you would avoid. But I'm not going to tell you to avoid scripture. I'm going to tell you to read it, but just know what you're going to be reading is going to be very dark. The depravity of the Israelites deepens as the time of the judges continues. The cycles of sin, the pattern of sinfulness, is a downward spiral that reaches its climax as we reach these final five chapters of Judges. Here, the key sin issues of idolatry and sexual immorality are on embarrassingly uh, recounted. They're embarrassingly recounted, excuse me, in the story of Dan's idol worship, which is in chapter 17 through 18. And then again, in Benjamin following that, he follows in the footsteps of Sodom and Gomorrah in chapters 19 through 21. And as an interesting side note on that, if you wanted to see those two things in parallel, it's very easy to find that account in Sodom and Gomorrah and read it right side by side with that account of uh, what happened with uh, the Benjamin tribe because it's found in Genesis 19 as well. So if you look at Genesis 19, you'll be able to see the account of what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah when the men of the city came and were trying to uh, pull the messenger from the Lord out of, uh, out of the house, a similar thing happens in Benjamin. And it brings full circle what God has been saying and been warning them about, about becoming like Sodom and Gomorrah. So what we see in the ending there, what it looks like for a people to be continuously moving away from God continuously seeking after their own desires, seeking after their own lust, seeking after false gods, and doing what was right in their own eyes. And it's with that phrase that the book is drawn to a close. So let's talk a little bit about the pattern of sinfulness in Judges. I'm going to propose that we break these down into six phases or six steps. We'll see these over and over again as we, we look through Judges, and as you read on your own, hopefully you'll be able to use these and look at these and be able to, to identify them as you're stepping through, and you'll be able to underline the verses as you step through and say, here's one, here's two, here's three. So patterns of sinfulness, and we're going to look at this not because I'm super smart, but because God is all-knowing, and he's given us this in Scripture. So if you want to follow along with this, uh, we're going to be in Judges chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 6, and God lays this out for us in Scripture on how we can identify this um, pattern of sinfulness that was in the Israelites' life, and many times the pattern of sinfulness that exists in people's lives today. So number one is going to be the nation serving and following God. Everything's good. They're doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're, they're, they're conquering the land. They're taking possession of it. The Israelites are doing exactly what they were supposed to be doing under Joshua. And that continues for a period of time. But however, all of the people who were leaders or elders at the time that Joshua had led them into the promised land and into conquest, they passed on. And as the next generation comes up, they were not of the same caliber. 
They did not worship and follow God the way that Joshua had. So let's look in Judges 2, and, and we'll read verses 6 through 9. So previously, when Joshua had sent the people away, the Israelites had gone to take possession of the land, each to his own inheritance. And the people worshipped the Lord throughout Joshua's lifetime, during the lifetimes of the elders who outlived Joshua. And they had seen all the Lord's great works and all that he had done for Israel. Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the territory of his inheritance in Timnath-Herez, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. All right, so Joshua has passed on, so the nation had been serving and following God. And then, number two, the nation begins to do what is evil in God's sight. And this is marked by general sinfulness, idolatry, and sexual immorality. The people would forsake God, and they would follow after their own passions, and they would worship false gods, and they would forget the God who had delivered them and who had brought them into the promised land. Look at verses 10 through 13. That whole generation was also gathered to their ancestors, and after them another generation rose up who did not know the Lord or the works the Lord had done for Israel. The Israelites did what was evil in the Lord's sight. They worshiped the Baals and abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of Egypt. And they followed other gods from the surrounding peoples. And they bowed down to them, and they angered the Lord, for they abandoned him and worshiped Baal and Ashtoreths. So the people have abandoned the worship of God, or they've mixed it with worshiping of other gods. And they've mixed it with intermarrying with people, and they've stopped the conquest. If we look in Scripture, you can see in the first part of Judges here that they begin to fail in their conquest. And then they're kind of like, hmm, okay, you know what? Those people are too hard. We're just going to leave them, and they can stay. And then they intermarry, and then they begin to bring in the worship of their false gods. And so the people are slowly moving away from doing what God wanted them to do. There's a song that talks about our lives sometimes being like a slow fade where we begin to give ourselves away. It's a slow fade walking away from what God wants us to do. It might start small. Sin, once it has its foothold, isn't, it isn't content with having a small foothold in the life of a person. It wants to expand its foothold. And as we're tempted... As it says in James, we're drug away by our own passions. It's not necessarily that somebody has to do it to us. We do it to ourselves. And we're drug away in our desire for sinfulness. And, and the Israelites were drug away in their desire for sexual immorality that was often intertwined with worshiping of the false gods that they were encountering in Canaan. And so they quickly turned from worshiping God to, to worshiping the false idols. So number three, the nation would then be enslaved or oppressed. Judges 14 through 15. The Lord, Lord's anger burned against Israel, and he handed them over to marauders who raided them. He sold them to the enemies around them, and they could no longer resist their enemies. Whenever the Israelites went out, the Lord was against them and brought disaster on them, just as he had promised and sworn to them, and so they suffered greatly. 
the Lord who was with them, the Lord who was fighting on their behalf. Last Sunday night, we talked about how they went out in battle and the Lord killed more of their enemies with hailstones from heaven than they killed with the sword. The same Lord who was leading them into battle, the same Lord who was, who was bringing victory to them, when they turned their back on him, he brought calamity upon them. He brought judgment upon them. He brought, specifically here it says, he brought disaster on them, just as he had promised. He had promised them that if they would be faithful, that he would care for them, he would protect them, he would give them rest. But if they turned away, if they, if they denied him, if they went after false gods, he was going to judge them, and they were receiving the judgment. So because of their sinfulness, not because of God's lack of desire, not because God is, is mean and, and he's hateful and he wants to do these things to people to, to punish them, no. It is not because of that. It is because of the sinfulness and the hard-heartedness of the people that God handed them over to be enslaved and, and oppressed for a time. But God does not cease to care about them. God loves them. He does, his desire is for them to come back to him. So look in Judges uh, chapter 2. We're going to look at verse 18, just the second part of that. There's, a, there's two sentences in that verse. So look at the second part of verse 18. Whenever the Lord, let me get to part B. I need to get a bigger print Bible. The Lord was moved to pity whenever they groaned because of those who were oppressing and afflicting them. The Lord was moved to pity when they groaned. They called out. When you hear groaning, when we think of groaning in prayer, <clears throat> we think of a person who is weeping, a person who is broken, a person who has a, a deep, serious desire of a heart, and they're going to God with, with desperation, clinging to prayer, clinging to God for God to do something, for God to move. When God hears that from his children, it's just the same way that if I were to hear desperation in my child's voice, I would do anything. I could, to be there to help my child. And God, our Heavenly Father, is no different. When he hears the Israelites, and he hears them groaning because of their affliction, because of their oppression, and they're calling to him for help, he responds. And God would then, number five, he would raise up a judge, a governor. So let's look in, at two, chapter 2, verse 16. <clears throat> The Lord raised up judges who saved them from the power of their, of, of their marauders, but they did not listen to their judges. Hmm. So the Lord would raise up a judge, but they wouldn't always listen. But that judge was there in representation of God. That judge was there to bring the end of the suffering, to make war. And most of the time we're reading here, they're making war against the Canaanite people to set them free, to run them off, to free and bring back to freedom the Israelites. Six, the judge or governor delivers the people, but. So God has raised up the judge or governor. The judge is being used in a mighty way by God, but there's a but. <clears throat> so the people have been delivered, but. Let's look back at, at 
chapter 2, we'll read 16 through 18 uh, this time. So the Lord raised up the judge who saved them from the power of the marauders, but they did not listen to their judges. Instead, they prostituted themselves with other gods, bowing down to them, and they quickly turned from the way of their fathers who had walked in obedience with the Lord's command. And they did not do as their fathers did. And whenever the Lord raised up a judge for the Israelites, the Lord was with him and saved the people from the power of their enemies while the judge was still alive. The Lord was moved to pity whenever they groaned because of those who were oppressing them and afflicting them. But whenever the judge died, the Israelites would act even more corruptly than their fathers, following other gods to serve them and bow and worship to them. And they did not turn from their evil practices or from their obstinate ways. Which brings us right back full circle. So we have in the six steps, a nation who follows the Lord, they begin to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord, they are enslaved or oppressed. They call out to God. God raises up a judge or governor to help them. They're delivered and they experience a period of peace and deliverance until the judge or governor passes. And then as soon as they do, they go right back into the same terrible cycle. Except for scripture tells us that whenever the judge would die, they acted even more corruptly. So, so we see that it's more of a, more of a downward spiral because they would be even more corrupt than the previous generation. And a way of giving us further illustration of these things that, that I've just, just given you, those, those six steps, let's see them in, at work. Okay, so let's look in one example. Uh, in, in Scripture, we're going to look at Othniel, who was the first judge. And we're going to see these things at work in the few short verses that Othniel is discussed. I had someone ask me this morning if we were going to get deep into Samson, and I had to, I had to tell the gentleman, I'm sorry, uh, on an overview of Judges, we could spend a lot of time on Samson. I said, um, but he's probably the worst, right? He's, he's one of the worst as far as uh, examples for us. I said, so I, I might be better off just to steer, steer clear of trying to hold him up. Maybe if we were doing a what not to do session, that's, that's what we, we might do. But even as bad as he was, the Lord used him, right? The Lord used him in a mighty way in spite of his arrogance, in spite of his character flaws, in spite of all of the things that, that he did were wrong. God still used him to accomplish his purpose. And praise God for the fact that he can use imperfect people. Amen. All right, so let's look at Othniel in, not oatmeal, it's Othniel, uh, chapter 3. And we're just going to look at um, verses 7 through 11 as we look at uh, this illustration of the pattern of sinfulness in Judges. So scripture says, The Israelites did what was evil in the Lord's sight. They forgot the Lord their God and worshipped the Baals and Asherahs. Therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of Kishon, Rishem, king of Mesopotamia, and the people of Israel served Kishon Rishim eight years. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel, who saved them, Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him, and he judged Israel, and he went out to war, and the Lord gave Kishon Rishim 
king of Mesopotamia into his hand, and his hand prevailed over Kishon Rishthaim. So the land had rest for 40 years. Then Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. So just breaking this down back into the same format that we kind of started with, I want you to notice in verse, verse 7 that it says that the Israelites did what was evil in the Lord's sight, and they forgot the Lord their God. The beginning of the turning away, which is another song, the turning away. They turned away from the Lord, and they began to worship false gods. Specifically here it mentions Baals and Asherahs. And since they had done that, once they turned away, we see the anger of the Lord kindled against Israel. And he brought a foreign nation in to rule over them. And they did that for eight years. So they suffered for a period of eight years. So again, going back to our, 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 our discussion, we have the nation who is following God, who is now doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord. And that phrase, you will see that each and every time we get to a judge, that phrase, Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, over and over and over. A nation that has now been enslaved and for a period of eight years. And what do we see in verse 9? The people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and the Lord responds. And he raises up a deliverer for Israel who saves them. Notice that it says that the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. I think that's important for us when we see that. Sometimes we think when we see um, in, in Judges, we're looking at, especially like with Samson, oh, he was a super strong guy. You know, we, we think about him being a mighty warrior and things like that, or the things that Gideon was able to do, or maybe we're looking at, um, you know, some of the other judges and the, the mighty works that they did, they did for the Lord. But we need to understand they're doing it for the Lord, but they're also doing it empowered by the Lord. That the Lord is the one who is doing the work. He is doing it through that person, but it is the Lord who is accomplishing it. Because in all scripture, and it's certainly the case in Judges, God is the hero of the story. These judges are being used by God, but God is ultimately the one who is the hero. He is the one who is the acting party. He is the one who is providing uh, the strength to do things. He is the one that is working out the situation the way that he has determined the situation needs to be worked out. He is the one to receive all the honor and glory when, when things are done that seemed impossible. So the Spirit of the Lord was on him, he empowers Othniel, and he's able to go out and deliver the people from Kishon Rishthaim. And it says the land had rest for 40 years. Now, during that 40 years, we're to understand that, that there was rest, and by rest, that takes us back to the nation serving and following God. But then Othniel, the son of Kenaz, dies. And what do we see? Othniel the son of Kenaz dies. In verse 12, the Israelites again did what was evil in the Lord's sight. So in all of Judges, this example that we have just stepped through is repeated. Whether we're talking about Othniel, Ehud, Shamgar, Deborah, Gideon, Tola, Jer, Jephthah, Ibzon, Elon, Abdon, or Samson, all of them are going to start 
and end the same way. Some of them have greater detail, and some of the stories are longer, and obviously they, they contain different accounts of what happened and different people that were attacking them and, and different groups within Israel that were involved, but the story is the same. So for us tonight, what is the message for us? What is the message for a modern audience as we're taking a look at judges that happened so long ago before the, the, the kings in before the kings were even a thing in Israel. What is our message? What are we to take away from this? I think at first reading, we might feel pretty distant from this, from this book. Some of the things that we're reading about are just so foreign and difficult for us to understand, especially when sometimes we're trying to explain bowing down and worshiping an idol. Some people, you know, just like, I can't even imagine doing that. It's just it seems so far-fetched that somebody would actually do that. But we do it today. We just do it with different things. Our idols look differently, right? We have the idol of money. We have the idol of possessions. We have the idol of self. We have the idol of our importance, our pride, right? There are lots of things that we put in place of God. There are lots of things that we elevate into the position where God ought to be in our life. And those things are idols, Idol worship doesn't have to be me bowing down to a golden calf, right? Idol worship can be me constantly obsessing over how much money is in my bank account and in my 401k and prioritizing my giving to the Lord because I want that other one to be growing faster. I've made money an idol if I do that. So for the modern audience, we still have the same problems. We still have the same challenges. We still have sin, and we, we need to understand that just because it's not exactly what they're dealing with in Judges, it doesn't mean that we don't still have the same problem. The lesson is man's sinfulness. Man is sinful. And we all, just like these Israelites, will seek to do what is right in our own eyes. How many times have you heard people say, well, you know, hey, it's just whatever, it's whatever's right for you, you know, it's not my thing, but, you know, that's your truth, right? We hear that today. That's your, whatever your truth is, is, you know, that's, that's, that's how it is. No, that's not true. Truth is absolute. Truth is truth. It comes from God's word. It's, it's irrefutable. We, we can't argue with truth. That's the reason it's called truth. We have to understand our sinfulness. We have to understand that we're no different than the Israelites. We have to understand that if we don't understand these patterns of sin, that we may also be doomed to repeat the same failures in our own personal lives. As a nation, we may be doomed to repeat the same problems Learning from these cycles of sin, learning from what happened in the time of the judges, learning from what happened to people as they begin to fall away and stray from uh, the teachings of, of God, fall, fall away from doing and living each and every day for God is absolutely applicable to us today. If we don't learn from our mistakes, if we don't learn from mistakes that we see made in Scripture that we oftentimes can look and say, those people are goofy. What are they thinking? Did they not see the waters parted? Did they not have manna 
given to them each and every day, God leading them in a, in a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire? Did they not see those things? How could they not see God working? We should ask ourselves that same question. Our God is a living God. It's the same God that was leading the Israelite people was leading us today. He hears us when we pray. He's leading us through his word. We have the benefit of having Jesus Christ and having God's word that we can look at today. We have no excuse for living as though God doesn't exist and living as though he doesn't have any power in our life. When we do those things, when we say my truth or whatever, you know, whatever you want, you only live once. So we say those things, we're basically saying just do right what's right in your own eyes. And when we say what do what's right in your own eyes, then we get to the place where we are as a nation. We get to the place where we are as individuals. And I believe we we receive the due penalty for our sin. Disobedience always brings judgment. I want to take us back as we prepare to close to the, the scripture that we, that we started with from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 through 11. It says, Consider him who endured for sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not, regard light, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? And if you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplined us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. My question is, are we like the Israelites? Are we not learning from our discipline? Are we not learning from the mistakes that others have made? Are we listening to sermons? Are we listening to Sunday school lessons? Are we reading in scripture and, and, and not applying? Are, are we not being disciplined by the word of the Lord? Because God is sovereign. And God is gracious and God is merciful. Those things we've said that he shows us here in Judges. But God is also a God who judges. God is a, a God who, because he loves us, he will discipline us. He will teach us. Let's not be like the Israelites and be hard-hearted and, and not learn from the things that God is teaching us, the things that he is showing us. May we be a people that listens and learns, a people that becomes more obedient to the Lord, a people that spur one another on to Christ-likeness, to love, to service, all for the glory of our Lord. The book of Judges is a testament ultimately to God's faithfulness, to a people that is very unfaithful. He remains faithful regardless of their faithfulness, and he is always, always 
listening, waiting for us to turn to him, for us to repent and for us to cry out and to be restored. My prayer this evening is that we would listen to that message, that we would be obedient, and that we would encourage others to do so, and that we would praise God for his love and his patience and his graciousness and his mercy that he shows each and every one of us each and every day. Please join me in prayer as we close. Lord God, we thank you, Lord, for for judges. Lord, we thank you, uh, as painful as it is to read of the sinfulness of the the Israelite people, Lord, we we pray, Lord, that that you would help us to learn, to be faithful, to, to learn, to be obedient, to be taught by your discipline, to love you, to follow you all the days of our life. Lord, and as we, we read in Judges, we, we, we see how patient and loving you are. We see how you have continued to provide and care for people and preserve your people. And Lord, we are thankful that for those of us who have believed in Jesus Christ, Lord, tonight we know that we are part of your people, that we are part of your family, that we are your children. We thank you and we love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.